DiscerningHearts.com presents A Handmaid of the Lord The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker Dr. Walker is an editor of the journal Communio, an international Catholic review. He received his doctorate in philosophy at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome. He has served as a translator for the English edition of Pope Benedict XVI's Jesus of Nazareth, as well as numerous other theological works, including those of Hans Urs von Balthasar and Adrienne von Speyer. Adrienne von Speyer is a Swiss convert, mystic, wife, medical doctor, and author of over 60 books on spirituality and theology. She's inspired countless souls around the world to deepen their mission of prayer and compassion. She entered the Catholic Church under the direction of the great theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. In the years that would follow, they would co-found the secular institute, the Community of St. John. A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrienne von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Our series of conversations with Dr. Adrian Walker on Adrienne von Speyer's life and legacy were recorded at Casa Balthasar in Rome. Founded in 1990 under the patronage of Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, Casa Balthasar is a house of spiritual discernment and studies. It is the work of the Lubach Balthasar Speyer Association at the service of the Universal Church. It is intended primarily for young people of all nationalities who aspire to give themselves to the Lord in some form of consecrated life and who are convinced of the world's need for radical Christian commitment. We now begin our conversations with Dr. Adrian Walker. A gift to be able to speak about Adrienne von Speyer. Tell us how you came to know about her. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I was at a Casa Balthasar in Rome that was founded in 1990, which is also the year that I went. Father Fessio from Ignatius Press was involved in the foundation and and still is uh, involved in the, the house. The Casa Balthazar is a program of, let's say, discernment and spiritual formation that's sort of aimed at helping young men kind of find their vocation in life. And the program is actually pretty encompassing. I mean, there's all kinds of authors and subjects and things studied in the in the academic part of the program. But uh, really the basis is Hans Urs von Balthazar, Adrienne von Speyer, and Henri de Lubac, uh, three giants. And it was just really through being here, at the, or I should say being at the Casa Balthazar, that I came to know Adrienne. And you know, so it was both through reading and by osmosis, so to speak. Uh, and that, that's really how it started. I mean, nothing, nothing at all dramatic or, or you know, sort of spectacular about it. The three that you mentioned, you call them giants. We can say that even for those who may not be aware of who they are, we yeah. know their students, don't we? That's right. We do know, as it were, their students or at least people who have been influenced by them. 
some pretty famous names like Joseph Fessio from Ignatius Press, Pope Benedict XVI, and even uh, John Paul II. Both Benedict and John Paul were readers of von Balthasar, and as you know, Chris, von Balthasar uh, always insisted that his work and Adrienne von Speyer's work were kind of like two sides of the same coin. In that sense, I mean, I don't know how much of Adrienne either John Paul II or Benedict sort of have read directly, but Adrienne is very present in the work of Balthazar, which both of them read directly, and both of them are very well aware also of the influence of Adrienne on, on Balthazar, and I don't think had any problem with it, so to speak. In fact, as you also know, uh, John Paul II called for the organization of a symposium in Rome in 1983, I believe, on the work of Adrian von Speyer. And of course, Balthazar at the time was still alive, and uh, he, in a way, I guess, guided the, the proceedings. It was really an opportunity for, as it were, men of the church to get together to talk about her work and the significance of her work, and that was all done under the blessing of John Paul II. So, and I, you know, we could we could mention other names. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Cardinal Ouellette, who's the prefect of the bishops' congregation, wrote his PhD dissertation on Balthazar and is also a reader of of Adrienne von Speyer. So, even if Balthazar and Adrienne von Speyer and of course de Lubach aren't household names, people that have read them and have have benefited from their writings are household names. I think it would help, even before we begin to dive sure. in on Spire, is to understand the gravitas of someone like von Balthasar and yeah. his awareness of her. So if you could tell us about him and why he is significant and possibly what would make someone a von Balsarian. That's a great question. Yeah, no, that's a really or a, a really helpful point, I should say. Who was von Balthasar? Well, I think most people who know about these things would say that he is one of the great theologians of the 20th century. That's an opinion that is shared, I think, by again somebody like Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, I mean, if you read statements that he's made both as Pope and then as, you know, and then before as as prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, you'll see that uh, he really shares that opinion. I think John Paul II did as well, which is one of the reasons why John Paul II wanted him elevated to the cardinalate. I think Balthazar died just a few days shy of the of the actual, I'm not sure what the correct ecclesiastical term is, but let's say the investiture or whatever, whatever the, the appropriate term is. So it sounds right. Yeah, I hope, I hope our audience will, will indulge us on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an opinion that's shared by a lot of people, including a lot of people whose, whose opinion is really worth something in the church, as I say, these, these last two popes, and of course others. He was a Swiss, Swiss-German, so German was really his native language, although he knew French perfectly and, in fact, wrote a, a wonderful book on Gregory of Nyssa, one of the fathers of the church in French. Born in 1905, died in 1988, so his life sort of spans most of the 20th century. It's interesting, one of his, I mean, his sort of first love, really, was German literature, his doctorate was actually in German literature from the University of Vienna. That gave him 
an interesting way into theology. It gave him a a perspective that, let's say, maybe was a little bit broader than sort of a typical school theology that you might have gotten, you know, when he was being formed. But indeed, you know, very soon he began to be interested in theology and uh, ended up producing uh, one of the masterpieces of at least of 20th century theology, and I think some people would say, you know, of theology of all times, which is referred to simply as the trilogy. It's referred to as the trilogy because it consists of three parts, each of which consists of, in turn, of five or six volumes. He was also a very important figure in the time after the council and the confusion after the council in the sense that already Paul VI the different popes knew that this was somebody whose judgment they could trust, somebody that they could call to Rome and consult on things. So he played a very important role, for example, in the International Theological Commission. He was also one of the founders of the journal Communio, which wasn't founded in response to Concilium, but in fact did offer a kind of an alternative interpretation of the Second Vatican Council, not as a radical rupture with the tradition, but as a, as a kind of deepening of the tradition, very much in the line of John Paul II and Benedict. Balthazar himself was a priest. Actually, he was a member of the Society of Jesus, but then shortly before his final vows, so he hadn't taken his final vows yet, he did a retreat and the question was, really, what should he do? Because he had become the spiritual father of Adrian von Speyer, and it seemed clear that there was a common work uh, that they were being asked to do, uh, which included the foundation of another community. F Balthazar's superiors placed him kind of before the, the alternative and said, you know, you kind of have to choose. So he did this retreat, uh, again, before his final vows. I think this was in the year 1950. This was not a, a, an unguided retreat. I mean, mm -hmm. this was a retreat that he did with spiritual father. And the conclusion was that he needed to take this other path, to leave the Society of Jesus. Extremely difficult for him, very mm -hmm. painful, great sacrifice. There were a lot of people then and a lot of people now who think that he made a terrible mistake, that he was misguided. But I think here the rule that the Lord himself gives us in the Gospels uh, applies. By your fruits, you'll know them. This is not a man who sort of ended his life in, let's say, disgrace. Not a man who ended his life in bitter opposition to the church, but a man who ended his life as a cardinal of the Holy Roman Church, esteemed both for his learning and for his piety by, again, people like Benedict XVI and John Paul II, and whose work is just beginning to bear fruit, really, just beginning to be received. Again, it's one of those things, by your fruits you'll know them. I mean, people who have begun to kind of taste the fruit tell us that uh, it's good stuff. So anyway, I guess if I had to sort of sum everything up in sort of a word— I would say that Balthazar was a man of the church in the deepest sense, both because he was obedient to the church, he was faithful to the popes and to the essentials of Catholic doctrine, 
at the time of the worst confusion. I mean, in the middle of the of the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, and and in a way even more deeply, he was also somebody whose entire outlook on life, his entire way of thinking and acting, was shaped by the church, shaped by the sort of concrete belonging to the church. Do you know what I mean? In other words, I think people who, maybe some older listeners who grew up in the United States when there was still a vibrant Catholic culture that had a very strong identity, will have some sense of what I mean. In other Mm -hmm. words, being Catholic was just in the blood. It wasn't just a personal lifestyle choice or an option or a neat idea. For him, it was reality. It was everything. It just, the church just absolutely saturated his entire way of being, everything, which is one of the reasons why he was so obedient to the church and so forth. And at the same time, a a man of incredible culture, incredible learning. De Lubach, his close friend, said of him, probably the most learned man of the 20th century, Um, a man of incredible subtlety and finesse, and yet at the same time of sort of childlike disposition. In other words, he could understand the most complex matters, but uh, his own disposition was utterly simple and childlike, absolutely transparent and limpid. I could go on and on and on. I hope I've said enough to suggest how his judgment about Adrienne is not the judgment of, let's say, an unstable or foolish person, but on the contrary, of somebody whose opinion would matter in any case, would matter in any context, and perhaps was was even sort of providentially placed in her path so that her charism and her gift to the church could be recognized. We'll return to A Handmaid of the Lord with Dr. Adrian Walker in just a moment. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen.
Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to A Handmaid of the Lord with Dr. Adrian Walker. A passage from First Glance at Adrian von Speyer by Hans Urs von Balthasar. Balthasar speaking of his eyewitness account of Adrian von Speyer. I cannot prevent anyone from questioning the veracity of my statements. There will be people with a personal interest in finding them to be false, for whom nothing can be which ought not to be. There will be many others who will at once attempt to illuminate the entire matter through the methods of depth psychology and so make it supposedly understandable, or who will dismiss it at all as completely out of date and therefore neither interesting nor credible. Finally, there will be those who will be very annoyed about a charism, should it prove to be a charism, which does not conform to the conventional trends in Christianity today. To all these persons I must say in advance that, in the sense of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1, their opposition does not trouble me, for, when I state the facts known to me, and continue to state them in the future, I am simply doing what I must do, principally in order to present them for the appraisal of the Church, to whose judgment, of course, I submit myself in every respect. Hmm. I've heard it said of him that he had an ability to be able to open up one of the, the key documents of Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, in a way that really illuminated it for yeah. many others, including John Paul. I think that's right. I mean, he, he wrote a wonderful essay called The Council of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he gives a, a kind of an interpretation of the essence of the council, which, if I may put it like this, uh, helps us separate the wheat from the chaff which is really, I think, one of the, the tasks that w were sort of given both to John Paul II and to Benedict to separate the wheat from the chaff, or if, if that's a too sort of pejorative way of putting it, uh, to help us understand what the real center of the Second Vatican Council was, right? Uh, so very much in harmony then with both the project of sort of giving us the, the real center of the council and... Also, I think the way in which both John Paul and Benedict have done that, again, very much in harmony 
with, with Balthazar or vice versa. But as far as Gaudium et Spes is concerned, right, that's the document that in a way most represents what was called the opening of the church to the world. And of course, that opening has been the object of an incredible controversy. Uh, anyone who has had a little bit of experience in the Catholic Church in the United States, certainly if their experience goes back a couple of decades, will understand exactly what I'm talking about. A kind of, let's call it a kind of a liberal or, or progressivist interpretation, which basically understands the opening to the world as now the world is the measure of the church. Now the world, the, mod, the so-called modern world, is going to tell us what we can believe and what we can't believe. And Balthazar, again, along with these other figures, helps us understand that that's not what's going on. That's not what's going on at all. That what's going on in a certain way is just the opposite. That what's going on is indicated best by the number, so the paragraph number of Gaudium et Spes that John Paul II sort of loved the most, which I'm paraphrasing now, says... Christ, in revealing the Father and the Father's love, simultaneously reveals man to himself. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that if man wants to understand who he is, he can't figure it out all by himself. He's got to know who made him and what for. So he's got to know the Father. And the person who reveals the Father to us is Christ. So that it's not the modern world that's the measure of Catholic teaching. It's Christ who's the measure of the modern world because Christ is the measure of man. Once you see that, then it becomes possible to open without compromise, without watering things down. Because the meaning of the openness is different. The meaning of the openness is, is no longer, oh, let's catch up with sort of what's going on in more or less sort of left of center kind of intellectual circles in the United States or something like that. No, the point becomes where in our culture are there openings to the truth of Christ and where is there a closure? And how do we address both of those things? So Balthazar, again, along with many others, also de Lubac, a very important figure in the council, but of course Benedict and John Paul II, are key to helping us understand the real Second Vatican Council, not the phony one, as it were, that, that was often sort of fobbed off on us in the name of the Second Vatican Council, but the real Second Vatican Council, which, again, is a council about... Jesus Christ as the one who reveals to us the deepest truth about ourselves and about everything, in fact, about every dimension of culture. That's the impetus for this so-called opening, which is both, I'm just repeating myself, but is both a a genuine looking for whatever signs, positive signs might be out there, but also an ability to say no when it's necessary to say no and to criticize where it's necessary to criticize. So that's, that's I think, Balthazar extremely helpful for that.
extremely helpful. Althazar himself was two things. I mean, on the one hand, he was a creative genius in his own right. And on the other hand, he was a sponge. I don't mean he sponged off people, but mm -hmm. I mean a sponge in the sense of somebody who was able to understand, as it were, where other people are coming from, to see the limits, but also to be able to learn from what was to be learned from. That was most in evidence in two cases, I would say. One, vis-a-vis -vis the Catholic tradition. That's an element that I had forgotten to mention. Balthazar, for example, was an important figure in the patristic renewal that took place roughly in the 30s and 40s and 50s, along with uh, de Lubac. He wrote, for example, as I say, a book on Gregory of Nyssa, uh, a wonderful father of the church, but also on Maximus the Confessor. Not so well-known, although he's becoming a little bit more well-known now in academic circles. Both of these are people whom uh, Benedict did Wednesday audiences on a couple of years ago. He did anthologies of Augustine on the church, Augustine on his commentaries on the Psalms. He did a commentary on St. Thomas's doctrine on prophecy and charisms. If you read, for example, I'm thinking in particular of two volumes of the first part of his trilogy. There are two volumes containing roughly 12 studies of figures ranging from Irenaeus to Pascal to Dante, etc., etc. So this was a man who understood the Catholic tradition, also had a vast literary culture, and understood modern thought as well. Uh, understood also the, the limits is, uh, of it and the problems. But a man so who really understood the Catholic tradition. One other fact which is very interesting, Balthazar was offered, I think, something like 12 chairs, you know, so not just university positions, but actually university chairs, and he turned them all down. And I believe... This would be maybe in the late 30s, 1938, 1939, something like that. He was offered two possibilities. He was still a member of, this, of the Society of Jesus at the time. Either to be a professor at the Gregorian here in Rome, so the, the great Jesuit university mm -hmm. here in Rome, or to be a student chaplain for Catholic students at the University of Basel in Switzerland. For listeners who aren't that familiar that's basically in a corner of Switzerland where if you go a couple of miles in one direction, you're in France, and a couple of other miles in another direction, you're in Germany. Mm -hmm. A very cosmopolitan city with a long sort of humanistic tradition, but extremely Protestant. Uh, that was one of the strongholds of the, of the Reformation, in fact. And so Balthazar chose to be a student chaplain. Uh, and at a certain point, uh, he was invited to say, an evening get-together at Adrienne's home, which is a wonderful old house right next to the cathedral, which looks Catholic on the outside and looks very Protestant on the inside, unfortunately, but sort of in the, in the cathedral square. But then there's a, 
part of the the house that that overlooks the Rhine River because the Rhine River runs right through the city mm. uh, and it's still navigable at that point uh, so there's a lot of river traffic and she approached him with with a question uh, kind of a twofold question really I mean one question was what do I do about becoming Catholic because she at the time was still a Protestant but in a way, had been searching for the Catholic Church her whole life long. This is at a dinner party. This is kind of at a... I, I, I think it's a dinner party. I mean, obviously, she didn't bring this up at the table. Sure. In fact, they were on the terrace overlooking the Rhine, and I think she sort of plucked up her courage and went up to him and, and talked and just mentioned this. But then there was a more specific question, which was, what do I do about praying the Our Father? Because she had always had an extremely profound relationship with God, an extremely profound sense of God. But after the death of her first husband, she then married again. But after the death of her first husband, whom she had loved very much, this would have been in the mid-30s, uh, she had trouble praying the part in the Our Father that says, I will be done. And it was a real dilemma for her because she felt that she had to be utterly sincere with God, but it was difficult for her to, to pray, thy will be done. And she didn't know what to do. This was a dilemma for her. And she went to a Protestant pastors who, who recommended a sort of compromise. Well, just pray the rest of the prayer. Mm -hmm. And so she asked him, what do I do about this? And he said, I'm not citing the exact words, but the point was, well, what about grace? It's not you who have to struggle alone to sort of heroically pronounce these words. What about grace? And that just opened everything for her. And that was really the beginning. I mean, that was the immediate, the more immediate sort of step that, that led her into the church. And that's how they met. And that's a good place to take a break for this particular episode. It sounds wonderful, Chris. I agree. And when we come to, together again... To be able to find out more about Adrian and then it also what that answer would lead to. I think that's a great plan. Adrian, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrian von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker. To obtain the works of Adrian von Speyer, go to Ignatius.com the website for her publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find them at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Handmaid of the Lord, The Life and Legacy of Adrian von Speyer with Dr. Adrian Walker.